Welcome to the Inside Bassmaster Podcast presented by Black Rifle Coffee Company. We're winding the year down, Kyle. This is episode 160. This is just a few days before Christmas when we were shooting and airing this podcast, and we're excited. I'm dubbing this, Kyle, the story of the year. There's a lot of people you could debate upon. Jeff Gustafson went in the Classic. Joey Sefuentes went in two elites. You could have JT Tompkins open season, Kyle Welcher winning Angler of the Year over Brandon Cobb and the rest of the bunch on the Elite Series. You could have a variety of thoughts on what story of the year would be. But for me, it's got to be Easton Fothergill winning the College Classic bracket. They had a phenomenal team of the year run all season long. They're about to make the College Classic bracket. And then all of a sudden he has all those health concerns and issues. He gets cleared to fish the bracket three days before uh, practice starts and tournament starts and then boom a couple of days later he has taken out people on his own team people on Auburn and then beating Tucker Smith in the finals to make the classic and uh, it couldn't have been better timing for him as he'll be doing all nine next year as he's about to graduate or is in limbo we'll get we'll get all the details from him but Kyle that's my story of the year thanks for joining me as always and I'm I'm excited to talk to Easton today yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Um, I've got the chance to know Easton over the last few years uh, covering the college series. And then, um, you know, he he lives, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit in this podcast, but he lives in a house with Nick, his partner, and then Bo Browning also going to be fishing the Opens this upcoming year. Uh, good, good friend of mine for a long time. So uh, I've got to know Easton really well over the last, you know, year or so, but uh, just a miraculous story. There's no question about it. I mean, no matter what we say, it's really not going to do it justice to how wild of a story this whole entire deal is. Um, and then, you know, the the fact that he came back and won the bracket should be a surprise to nobody, though, because Easton is a stick. He is a really, really good fisherman. Um, he's proved that over the college series for years now. Um, been on our prospect list since we've been doing it, rightfully so. And uh, like I said, him winning should come as no surprise to anybody, but the way it all happened is a is nothing short of miraculous. Yeah, right now we're in the process of finishing up some TV show edits for Fox Sports 1 that you'll be able to see starting this Saturday. The podcast is going out Thursday, December 21st. The first TV show start airing on the 23rd this coming Saturday, and they'll go all the way until we start the Opens and the Elite Series season on live uh, in February and one of those TV shows that we've allotted time to is the College Classic Bracket. So our guy Coleman is editing that show. And just to see, not only did he have to take out, I believe, Jack Alexander in round one, um, you know, uh, his one of his Montevallo like teammates or your or schoolmates. Then he goes and beats Hayden Marbit, and then he goes and beats Tucker Smith to do so, and was very very consistent. If we're just talking about Milford Lake, not the whole season because they were absolutely phenomenal. At Milford Lake, very very consistent, either the top weight or the second highest weight every single day of the bracket. And uh, normally, when you see that consistency, something crazy happens on the final day, and someone pops a bigger bag than usual, and the consistency is for not, and you don't win. But for Easton, it came through, and for Montevallo, this was the first time that they they had taken what five victories this year through the Bassmaster College Series, and uh, for them to also do a clean sweep and win. The college classic bracket is going to be huge for their school representing across the nation on the opens for Easton. And I'm excited for that as well, because he's got a whole division that is right up in his neck of the woods, you know, with St. Clair. And then you have Leach and uh, Mississippi river in lacrosse. 
those are people those are those are lakes in his region but uh, we've sent Easton the link and I can't wait for him to to join today and we'll be able to uh, kind of ask him how he's doing health wise that's one big thing as we think about it like the lead up to the tournament and then uh, how he fared in it but there's still plenty of checkups and recovery time after the fact as well yeah, there's no question. Um, I do know for a fact that he has not slowed down fishing wise. <laughs> yeah, um, beat you the I'm other actually, day. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'm sure we'll get into this. This is certainly not about me whatsoever. But um, Bo and I fished a couple tournaments. Uh, I guess it had been a weekend or two back, and uh, Easton and Nick fished in those same tournaments. And and the first one we beat them, and then the second one, which of course was worth uh, significantly more money, they beat us by like you know a pound or something. So. Um, he hadn't slowed down as far as fishing is concerned. I know that for sure. Um, he's been doing uh, plenty of that. But yeah, like you said, of course, there's going to be a lot of follow-up, something that you're going to keep an eye on for a really long time, really probably the rest of your life, just to make sure nothing uh, goes on. Kyle, you just mentioned it, and we talked about it over the beginning of our show. Easton Fothergill, congratulations. Welcome into the podcast. You're going to the Bassmaster Classic. You won the College Classic Bracket, Team of the Year, all those different accolades. Just off the top of your head, tell me how awesome 2023 has been for you, for Nick, for the school uh, at Montevallo. Uh, that's been absolutely a dream season, it seems. Yeah, ever since I got home here for Christmas break here in Minnesota, I've just been looking back on the season. And it just it was just wild to me how many things went right for us, for me and Nick both. Just I can think of so many fish catches where it's just like, wow, that's just something that just shouldn't have happened. It was just one of those things where you get on those, you get on a roll, just like all everyone talks about in fishing, you just get on this huge momentum swing. And that's exactly what happened for us this past season. It was definitely, like you said, a dream season for sure. I want to go back before even the bracket, before any of that. I mean, Ronnie and I, we were just talking about it. You and Nick have been on our prospect list every single year since we started doing it. And basically we're one of the teams that we didn't even have to like wonder. It was never a question like, you know, do they need to be on there? Should they not be on there? It was like an automatic, like one of the top teams, obviously, in all of college fishing. But this year for you guys finally to be able to, to win the team of the year, tell me about the preparation before the season, because I know you guys fish a lot together, just fishing. Um, it's not just a matter of fishing tournaments. I mean, you guys are together all the time. You fish, you know, tournaments locally all the time. Tell me High preparation. High school. Yeah, everything. I mean, tell me preparation before the season even started. Like, how much of a goal was this for, for you guys as a team to, to you know, finally get this done? Yeah, so I guess I'll go all the way back to high school. Uh, me and Nick paired up our end of the freshman year, beginning of sophomore year is when we started fishing together. Um, and, you know, right away, this, the high school ranks, it was to, to win team of the year in high school ranks. And that's what we were working towards. And then senior year of high school, we were able to accomplish that. Then we're starting to think about college, and then we looked into Montevallo, ended up going to Montevallo, and then we get to Montevallo, and then that's the goal for the for the college series is to win team of the year because you know you want you want to be the best team out there, and uh, that's what we work towards all of our college career and our third season fishing the the college tour, we were able to win team of the year. It's just it's, it's still crazy to me. And the first two years of our college career, we had an insane amount of boat issues. It was just like we thought people were like trying to like hunt like hunt us down like it was <laughs> it was it was crazy how many boat issues we had but you know it's that's just something you just got to deal with and you know it'll it'll work its way out in the end but yeah it's definitely a, it was definitely a long road to get there for sure so your preparation you're saying before the season was to make sure that 
you didn't have any boat issues in January for the so the season started off strong and and tell us about that because you guys are from Minnesota. Uh, you go to Alabama for school. Uh, you learn a lot of different types of fishing. You bring what you know from up north. And then now you have college events in Florida and Tennessee and, um, you know, all across the country. Were there things that you could relate to each tournament or were there some tournaments where you're like, we both have no idea. We're just trying to find something that we can carry out through this week and survive. Is that, did you ever have those moments of survival compared to um, just uh, being dialed in right off the get go? Uh, I guess the only tournaments that we've had where I was completely clueless, not being able to relate to anything, was the title fisheries that we went to. Uh, the first one I think we went to is the national championship on Winya Bay. That was the first time I'd seen tidal water, and I just kind of threw my hands up in the air, like, <laughs> we just got to go fish, and, you know, we'll we'll just fish on the fly. And, uh, you know, it, the, the results showed on that one. It was definitely a learning experience. But then, you know, we went to James River this past season, and, you know, we had the title fishing under our belt a little bit, and, you know, we were able to come out with a fifth-place finish, and that just goes to show we were able to learn so much at Winya. And now I would say title fishing is one of my biggest confidences. Um, it's just college fishing overall has just taught me so much about fishing and all kinds of different bodies of water. And that's just, that's, that's one of the biggest things I've taken away from college fishing is just all the places we went and how much I've been able to learn. So uh, is your confidence in tidal fishing now because you ignore the tide and you just find a good area that you fish throughout the day, or are you confident in the tides because you move with the tide as it goes in and out to different regions? Like there's two different ways of doing it, ignoring it, or completely embracing it and trying to trying to calculate along the way. Uh, we, I guess at at Winyaw we we kind of ignored it, which I think hurt us. And at James we we embraced it and we we used it to our advantage at James River. So that's definitely where my confidence is is kind of understanding the tidal currents and how it positions fish. And I was able to relate that actually to the Coosa River, the current at the Coosa, and because you know that's what taught me to fish current and it's. I, I'm able to bring stuff in from all kinds of different places and, you know, make it work. So it's, it's pretty cool. So because of the James river, so Kyle, beat, he beat you last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was. I'm sure there's more reasons <laughs> than just, um, you mean to tell me of like the one, one and a half million lakes in Minnesota, there's not a single one that has anything to do with tides. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. So I, I was going to ask you about this, and this is something that Ronnie's brought up a handful of times talking to Seth Fighter, um, a lot of the Midwest guys. It seems to be that there's a, a a giant influx here in the last, I don't know, what do you say, Ronnie, maybe decade, uh, maybe not even that yeah, long, sure. of guys from that general region. Like, I guess, obviously, you mentioned the fact that you take something from basically everywhere you go, but what is it about guys from the Midwest that you think translates to having success on the national stage because it's becoming more and more uh, prevalent each each and every year. I guess from my house here, you know, I'm 20 minutes away from probably eight different lakes. And of those eight lakes, there's a couple super clear smallmouth lakes. We have one muddy water largemouth lake where it's all flipping frogging. And then we have a couple, we have like a, it's almost like a reservoir. It's got some current, but it's 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 a man-made reservoir. It's just got a dam on it. It's the it's the top of a river. But um, but yeah, that's of those three places, you can kind of relate that to pretty much anything on south. And that's that's I think the main reason we just have access to so many different kinds of bodies of water up here. And it's, it's just a huge playing ground. Just like, just like I just like I found a Coosa River down in Alabama. It's just it's just a giant playground. And yeah, you can take anything from here and relate it to almost anywhere you go well i know that 
Adam Rasmussen from Wisconsin up by Sturgeon Bay wins the open at Wheeler. You have all these different guys, Bob Downey, Jay Shakira, Patch Lopper, obviously Felix Fighter, Douglas, all those guys in that region. But when you think about next year's open schedule, I know we're about to get introduced to a whole lot more people from the Midwest because you guys have probably the best opportunity that you've had for the opens. If someone was going to fish all nine or maybe just sign up for a division, having St. Clair, uh, having Leach, and then Mississippi River in La Crosse, Wisconsin right there. So tell me just from the initial like rumblings or words or buddies, are we going to have a maxed out field for that division of the opens? Because there's going to be a lot of big names locally in Minnesota and Wisconsin that are now going to take it. And we're going to maybe be able to see them on Bass Live uh, for one of those opens. There's been a lot of buzz going around, at least in northern Minnesota, about Leach. You know, that's kind of that's kind of all of our baby up here. And, you know, there's been there's been all this talk, but how much of that talk will really been be put into action? I don't know, but I could definitely see it being a full field for sure. Uh, and like you said, St. Clair and uh, lacrosse are both a lot of locals like to fish both those places. So I could definitely see the Northern, the Northern division definitely filling up and, you know, that'd be really cool to see. Now that leech tournament specifically, um, how much are you going to win by and how are you going to win that tournament? <laughs> if you get That's not, I did get texts <laughs> from people that said, just want you to know it's it's August and I'm just you know gonna tell you that Easton's gonna win that uh leech event. So no pressure, but I've already gotten text from that. I can I can oh, add, I can add on event. to that too. Uh I, Tommy <laughs> and I were talking in the office the other day and I was kind of trying to ask him what tournaments he might want to go to. Uh and that was one of the tournaments he wanted to go to just for the chance of uh you winning that tournament he thought was great enough for him to to go to that tournament. So like Ronnie said, absolutely no pressure, but carry on. No, I've I've put a lot of hours in out there, but you know all of these guys are so good, and they're gonna catch them. And you know it's, I hope I can do good, but you know we'll, we'll see. Fishing's fishing, and you can get humbled at any time. So I'm definitely that one's definitely circled on the list, though. I'm super excited to fish one of my home lakes as a Bassmaster Open. Can't really believe that's happening. So you are, correct me if I'm wrong. You are graduating either like you just did in December, or you're going to in May. And so you are you are prepared to fish all nine opens. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. That's awesome. So uh leading to that, we we teased it a little bit at the beginning. So the reason you're allowed to fish all nine opens is because you won the college classic bracket, the individual fish off, the top four teams in the nation, three from the championship and the team of the year. They split apart and the eight anglers fish in the college classic bracket. Now take us back to the national championship at Pickwick when you had your health issues, because I want to I want to segue to that a little bit and how you're doing since then. So uh, for people who maybe don't know your story um, that maybe have had people in their own families affected by this, or it could be something in the future affected. I know I texted you in a little bit of a panic because I, I had some tremendous headaches for a, a couple, you know, half a week. And, and I never do. I got super worried. It's never been on my radar, but I, I just wanted to check. And uh, I was all okay. No, I probably was a little prima donna. But tell us about Pickwick, everything you experienced, and then all of those deadlines for the championship or for the uh, for the bracket where you got cleared. Yeah, so I guess a couple months now, it's kind of all a blur. But I believe Pickwick was one of the first or second week of August and uh, national championship. Uh, we were practicing, first day practice went smooth. Uh, 
went out to dinner that night and then I crawled into bed and just had this slight headache and, you know, just that whatever, just dehydrated. I'll just drink some of them in the morning and it'll all be good. And then I woke up the next morning and it was just brutal pain. Uh, started graphing ledges and just drinking water, thinking it would go away. And then about 10 o'clock, I ended up passing out a couple of times. And, and one of the times I woke up, my teammate was right in front of me. So asked him if he had any ibuprofen and sure enough he did and that that helped me get through that day and then that night I went to the convenience store I got some more ibuprofen and stuff and that's what was able to get me through that week was ibuprofen um I can remember tournament morning the headache was so bad I was sitting in the truck waiting for Nick in the gas station and it was just it was it was some of the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life just the day before the tournament I'm just like how's how am I going to do this but Shortly after the ibuprofen kicked in and ended up fishing the event, ended up doing pretty decent. Um, and then went pretty home decent. after <laughs> pretty decent. Another top home. five. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh ended up moving into school after that. Uh, about three days later, I went into the urgent care. Um, they told me it was just severe migraines, gave me some steroid shots and told me to go sleep it off pretty much, which I did. I went home, went to bed. And the rest of that day actually felt really good. The steroid shots did work. Um, so I thought, I thought it was over with, we, we, we got through this, but woke up the next morning and the pain was right back where it was. And the next few days it gradually got even worse and it ended up getting, it ended up getting to the point where I didn't leave bed or I wasn't eating. Uh, it was like, it was like 25 hours or something since I had last texted my parents or anything. So they, they got really worried and pretty much told my roommates that they'll call an ambulance if they don't get me to the hospital. So they got me to the ER and that's when they found the mass and got me up to Birmingham. And that's when they, they threw me into surgery right away after the MRI showed I had a brain abscess. So, and then spent a week in the hospital after the surgery, just recovering. And then I got sent home for two weeks to recover up to Minnesota here. And then, uh, let's see, it was, I went back to school for a week at Montevallo. And then I had a tournament on Kentucky Lake. I was kind of like a pre-tournament. I was treating it just to see how I'd feel for the bracket. And then it was like three days after that Kentucky tournament, I was able to go to the bracket. So definitely super grateful for how quick I was able to turn around after that. Kyle, I want to ask this question just because I have no idea. Um, for one, where at on your head was the abscess? having brain surgery is no small thing. So was there anything that you had to relearn how to do, or was it the surgery just not as invasive as others where you were kind of just tired and just needed a rest and heal rather than having to like, I got a, I got a, I, I need a cane to walk or a, a walker, things like that. You know, there's that, that to me is just crazy that we can do that and almost be back to normal in a week or two. So yeah, the abscess was actually right behind my right eye, which is what made it feel like a migraine. You know, it's it's the pain like in your forehead kind of. Um that's that's why I thought it was a migraine is that's where the pain was. And actually when I woke up out of surgery, my fishing coach William was standing there and I was actually talking to him as soon as I got wheeled into the room. And it's like you said, it's crazy how you can drill into my head and I can wake up like right after and just be talking to everyone. It's just that part's the whole medical side of things and how advanced it is is crazy to me but but yeah it's i did not have to relearn anything i was once i got rested up and you know my body was able to catch up with everything i was just i was i was good to go so just had to rebuild my strength after laying in bed for three weeks 
I'm just curious, you know, of of what the time period after that looked like, because in my mind, I I know you as a competitor and, and, you know, how much you love the sport of fishing. And, you know, you're going through such a traumatic uh, experience for, uh, you know, an extended period of time there, really, for how long it, it I guess it lasted. Um, and then you come out of surgery and then everything's kind of a, a, a question mark. You know, it's it's like. You don't know if you're going to be able to fish the the bracket, do these things that basically you've dreamed your whole fishing career of being able to do. Uh, what was that like emotionally just dealing with, you know, the, the I guess, the unknown of what was going to happen over the next couple of weeks uh, prior to, you know, kind of the biggest opportunity of your whole fishing life? I guess for the week I was in the hospital, the bracket wasn't really even really crossing my mind. It was more of just you know, am I going to make it through this more? Um, sure. And then let's see. I guess when, when I went home, that's when I was, I was, I was able to kind of rebound more and I was just like, okay, I'm going to be able to do this. And that's when I started more studying the lake and making sure I'm going to know that place better <laughs> than anyone else. Cause I'm laying in bed doing nothing is what my mindset was. Um, and yeah, that's, I, I was pretty much obsessing over the lake when I was at home. So we had your cameraman during the bracket ask you about, um, you know, the whole process leading up to the bracket and your thoughts during one of your one of your halftime breaks. What's it been like since then? You win the college classic bracket, you go back home, everybody's oohing and on, and and then you're gonna go and and do checkups and different things uh, with the doctor or the staff. So what's that been like? Have you gotten the clear for sure? Everybody, nothing's re-emerged, and, and you're all good going forward as well. Yeah, so it was probably about two weeks ago now. Actually, um, I got the the clear all good. Um, I'm fully healed now, and they told me I don't have to worry about it coming back. Hopefully, so that was that was obviously super good news, and super happy to hear that. So, and yeah, I'm physically I'm feeling great and back to all my normal activities. So, super super grateful for that. The last thing I have question wise, Kyle may have another one about this, but did they, did the doctors ever explain other than just like, it just happens, but like, how does an abscess form behind your eye? Was it, you know, like there's nothing else. If everything else is fine, there was no other things affected by it. It just seems like fluky, but it's hard to just mm -hmm. chalk it up to that, especially not the fear aspect, but like, it's cool that a doctor can clear you, but you're like, is this every five years? Like what, like, does this just, it, it didn't happen for 21 years of my life. You know, that's gotta be a weird mm -hmm. thing. So did they explain any of that? Cause I, I went to school for journalism and bass fishing, not for, for medical stuff. <laughs> uh, what I had is super rare. Uh, they told me the bacteria a couple different times, but it's some name that's beyond me, some big fancy name, but it's actually a bacteria that lives in our mouths and a probably about a month prior to all that happening, I had a big sore in the back of my mouth from jamming my toothbrush in the back of my mouth. And it got, it got pretty painful for a little while and it was actually bleeding. And they think that's how it got into my bloodstream was through that sore. Wow. So kind of a weird deal. I was actually at the dentist this week and I told them about that and they, they thought that was the craziest thing ever and how that could happen. They had never even heard of that. So it was definitely a super rare deal and a fluke deal for sure. Well, the dentist was probably very pleased you were brushing your teeth that vigorously, but probably sorry. That is some aggressive toothbrushing. I know that for sure. <laughs> Sometimes my teeth will bleed too, but it's just because I haven't brushed them in like a day or two from playing around doing nothing. But that's uh, that's pretty extreme. 
Uh, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. Do you have anything for this before we segue into uh, what's next? I was going to transition a little bit, um, unless, you know, you had anything and more to talk about as far as that. And I'm sure, you know, granted, that story needs to be told because it's it's just crazy and something that, you know, we may never, um, you know, get to tell a story like this again. But at the same point, I'm I'm sure Easton is probably sick and tired of talking about it because he probably had to tell that about 150 times. But again, it, you can't really downplay the importance of it and, you know, how crazy it is. But uh, um, you know, you go to the bracket. Let's let's talk about that a little bit because we're we're so far removed. It seems like from that because it was so long ago. Um, you get there and it's like every year the bracket competition stout, but like you get there and there's no easy way in. Like there's no easy route to take to win the bracket. Like the competition is pretty obvious. Like how good it is. What were your thoughts? You know, coming into it. Uh, game plan wise, what you'd found in practice, just kind of give me your thoughts prior to the, the bracket starting. So prior to it starting, I, I was kind of going into it completely expecting a grind, uh, all my research has shown me that it was a really weird lake, a lot of mud flats and then some channel swing banks is pretty much what I had gathered. Um, found a couple of rock piles that I thought maybe might have something, but ended up rolling up to my first spot, caught like a two and a half pound largemouth, like my third cast. I was like, Oh this will be easy. And I went like five hours after that, not catching a bass. I was just like, okay, yep, <laughs> here we go. And, uh, it was just, it was a grind all the practice. And then the, the first morning of the, the wind day was supposed to be the seed day is when I had found that spot that ended up pretty much carrying me through the event. Um, I was just going down the bank with a spinnerbait and I kind of found that pattern the first day of practice, but I ain't really dialed it in yet. And I just, I had the spot circled. I was just like, okay, if, if this is a pattern, this will have them. And ended up going around the point, threw my spinnerbait across the point, and it just loaded up, and it was a four-pound largemouth. And I was just like, okay. And I panned over it on live scope, and it was just dot, 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 following that four-pound largemouth in. I was just like, there's some fish here. And then I pulled the troller and left and never checked it in the afternoon or anything. I just, I was planning on hopefully starting there if, if, if I could get in on it. And I ran around and found a couple more things that afternoon but i was really excited about that spot and ended up paying off big time finding that spot but yeah like you said the competition in that event it was so stout and i pretty much had the mindset if it was meant to be it was going to happen and you know that's that's how it ended up shaking out so yeah and you never know how the the bracket would have ended up i, I don't want to sound disrespectful to anybody else but like when you have the you know one of the biggest names of college fishing who just won the national championship advanced to the finals as well as you know one of the biggest names and one of the team of the year you know combos advanced to the final i feel like the bracket worked out like it like it should have been but how crazy it could have been if we had a seed day you guys could have faced each other in the first round like you know that's just chaos the way the bracket works there and so obviously that like, telling us about that first spot you by far out of everyone in the field, had the best automatic guaranteed catch a couple fish spot on the lake and always jumped out to an early lead. But on that final day, it wasn't necessarily the case. It didn't fire for you and you had to make some adjustments and then later on it paid off. Tell us about um, the confidence that it's gone well in the morning. It's gone well in the morning. I need it to go well one more morning and it didn't happen. Is there not for you, obviously, but immediate panic. Uh, let me just stay close, but 
but pursue some other things. And when do you go to plan B, C, D before you come back and give it another shot? And uh, I was glad to see you hit it multiple times throughout the day. And then you hit a stretch where obviously it fired up for you. Uh, yeah, I guess I would call that one of my strong suits. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much a cool, calm, collected kind of guy when I'm fishing. Uh, you, you'll never find me flustered on the water. It's just, that's just my style. And I, I think that's a big part of tournament fishing is you just got to kind of roll with the punches pretty much. Uh, I did start on that spot the the third day. And like you said, it did not pan out. And actually when I was leaving, some catfish guys rolled down there and they threw trot lines all over my point. And <laughs> that is, that's, that's why I didn't, I wasn't able to fish it till about 1230 or so in the afternoon is there was like eight lines strung across my point at, for, for uh, catfish. And I was just, that kind of spun me out a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but because I had to get your scissors like out and, and cut them up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get back in there so bad because, you know, my milk run, how it worked, I was kind of in the middle of my milk run. So I drove by it multiple times and that was, that was definitely like, oh, I wish I could get in there, but finally was able to get in there and they just happened to be pulled up there or willing to bite or something because they bit good for me in the afternoon there. But, but yeah, like I said, you just got to kind of roll the punches and, you know, just be confident that you'll, you'll run into them at some point during the day. That's kind of a, a big thing in tournament fishing. I think it's just not get flustered. So you go on to win the bracket, obviously. Um, I don't know if you'll even have a, a specific answer for this, but I've always wondered because, you know, Ronnie and I obviously having fished in college, we never sniffed anything close to the college bracket or, you know, even, uh, you know, would have ever had that chance, but you win the bracket. What's the first thing that goes through your head? Like, is it the classic? Is it just the win in general? Like, were you surprised? What was like the first thought that went through your head? Cause I'm, I'm curious of, of what it would be because I, you know, for myself, if I was in that shoes, I, I don't know what you could possibly think because there's so many positives from winning the bracket, obviously. For me, the first thought was, how did that happen? That's, <laughs> that's all I could think about was like, <laughs> how did that even happen after, after my illness? And then, you know, just having a tough practice and all that, just how it came together. I was just like, how did that happen? Like so many things had to go right for that to happen. I was still can't believe it. It's, crazy but that's the only thought I could have through my head and then on the drive home was when I was like wow the classic the opens the truck and boat that's when all those thoughts started to come into my head is on the drive home so William get me some more NIL deals man I'm I'm <laughs> cashing in for Montevallo but for real did you get to watch the live uh the replays of the college classic bracket you know after the fact to see how the day tra transpired on the camera because uh I'm gonna read off Kyle you were obviously engaged with this event as well and i was doing it live with the guys in the studio but easton jumps out to a four pound 15 ounce to zero lead over tucker tucker jumps back with three in a row to get to four one so you both are in the four pound and change range with three fish then easton goes and catches two in a row to fill his limit for eight pounds tucker goes and catches four in a row ends up having a nine and a half pound limit um, so Easton is now behind and I believe we're getting around the time I'd have to check. I think that at that point in the day was the halftime break. So tell us about the halftime break because we admired Lewis Minetti the year prior. He's the first person to decline knowing what the, his opponent has at halftime. And we saw both of you guys declined it. Tucker didn't ask and didn't want it and you didn't want it. So you didn't know that you were actually for the first time all week trailing in your matchup halfway through the day. Um, 
and then obviously we know the afternoon continued to go well for you immediately. But that whole mindset of I don't need to know what he's doing. I just got to stay focused on what I'm doing. Is that because you said you're not going to spin out. So I feel like if you knew the info, you would just take it with a grain of salt. But would that have been one little piece of like doubt in your mind if you would have known? If I would have known it, that's just something you can't keep out of your head. That was something I'll just keep nagging at you throughout the rest of the day. But the the night before the tournament, I kind of made that the night before the first day, I made that decision to not know all week the, who or what the other person has. Just with that format, you got to catch as much as you can every day. You can't save anything. That's just how it's set up. And that's what makes it most interesting. I think you just, if you, if you save anything, you'll probably get ran over by your, your competitor. Cause you know, that's, it's definitely a, a interesting format. It's something like I've never competed in before. But yeah, that's that's the the decision I made the night before is to not know and just catch as much weight as possible and see how it shakes out. Ronnie, you ask if he uh, had had went back and watched the live. I've got some intel into his house, and uh, I've heard that you know he brings all the friends over and just has it playing on the background <laughs> of every TV in the house, just so everybody gets to watch it. <laughs> that is not true <laughs> it is i i don't i have not heard that but i i just want to hard time so uh, this whole time you've been you know ever since you said that you can't get flood you know you normally don't get flustered on the water this that and the other i'm just trying to think through my head have you considered that you're going to fish the bassmaster classic <laughs> and have you considered what if you're in the running on the last day? Do you think there's any chance you'll get flustered on the last day if things don't go your way? Absolutely. At the classic. 100%. <laughs> He's only docked up behind Jason Christie and Brandon Polinick and Hank Cherry's down here, Jeff Gustafson. And he's like, yeah, guys, let's, uh, let's go do this final day. <laughs> if I roll into a pocket and Christie's in the back of it, I'll be, I'll be a little spun. I won't lie. <laughs> That's no, gotta be, be yeah. Gotta that's gotta be one of those things where you're like, oh my gosh. So who's the who's the guy for you? And it may not be in the classic. Maybe you see him in the opens, but it could be an elite series pros in the classic. That is your hero or your favorite angler. That like a little bit of fandom has to go through your mind. Like maybe maybe way prior to the event. You know, like maybe Monday of the event when media day stuff's going on, Tuesday, all that stuff. Uh, is there any any angler that you're like I can't wait to meet them and that's crazy I get to fish the classic against them and do a and do a jersey swap after the classic <laughs> with them. <laughs> uh, at Grand, it's definitely Christy. He's kind of he's kind of that guy out there. Um, let's see over the rest of the field, just in general. Uh, Polnick competing against him is gonna be pretty wild. Um, who else? G-Man, seeing him roll out. I don't think he's in the classic this year, which is kind of a kind of different for him. But um he'll get to do you think that's crazy that Gerald Swindle on this topic will be watching you fish the Bassmaster Classic <laughs> after your whole life you've watched him fish? How that's that's crazy. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. Um yeah, that's that's the main ones for me, the main intimidators. Well, I know for a fact, I do know this for a fact, um, you're not the kind that, you know, is just going to be happy to be there and fish the classic. Uh, I do have a source per you and uh, your friends. You've already pre-practiced at Grand, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Tell me about your experience there 
Um, you know, you have to go into super details, but just your, you know, general thoughts on the lake, getting to spend a couple days there. Uh, had you ever been there before? And then kind of what are your takeaways from from going uh, and pre-practicing already? Yeah, so it was a couple of days after Thanksgiving, I rode up there and I think I practiced three days out there. Um, basically just rode around, wanted to see the whole lake. And, you know, I, I like how it sets up. I didn't really do that much fishing, more looking. Um, the little bit I did fish, I did catch some, nothing really big, but I don't know. It's, I really like how it sets up. It definitely feels like one of those deals where I just got to make sure I'm in the right area that fires for the tournament. Um, that that's the vibe I got. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say much. I don't want to get in trouble, but I really liked how, how the, how the lake set up and I'm super excited. I got to look, I think for the most part, gotta, I got to look at, uh, and see if, I can find grand. We had an open. I think it was 2021. We were live in the fall. I'm trying to figure out who won that event. Maybe it was no way it was 2022. Um, either way, was grand is it? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. See, look at that. he's done his he's done his homework. So Nick LeBrun won, but other than that, that's like the only Southerner who was like really won Grand Lake in the last you know little while. You either have an Oklahoma local win it, someone who knows a lot about the lake. Kevin Van Dam's won there in the spring. Obviously, Bob Downey in the fall. It seems like Grant Seth Fighter's done really well there. It seems like even though we will probably claim it for the South or maybe even partially Midwest, it does relate to y'all. Even though you probably don't have a ton of clay and dirt, rock bank lakes in Minnesota, um, was there any things that you saw there that you were like, I'm excited for – this type of structure or this bank because it is it is vastly different than what are the lakes I've been at in Minnesota. Yeah, there's there's a lot of 45 degree banks. Like there's a Ozarks and Ozarks is one of my favorite lakes. And that's immediately what I was able to relate it to a little bit. Um and then like you said, there's a lot of shallow pockets, uh like some big flats and stuff. Um but yeah there's all kinds of different structure. If you if you want to find something out there you can find it and it's I don't know. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Uh, it's that time of year. It can be if it's cold. It could be like a live scope type of deal. But you know, if it's warm, they might rush to the bank, and it might be a bank beating deal. It can be both ways. So, I'm super excited. Might be a live scope deal up shallow too. Who knows? I heard it's the end all yeah. be all. No, just uh, <laughs> Kyle, that is dangerous because we we just mentioned Bob Downey's one at Grand Lake in the fall, and Bob did a sit down with you, Kyle, and did his five favorite lakes in the Midwest. And he listed Lake of the Ozarks as one of those. So there's the crossover. He loves Lake of the Ozarks. He's won at Grand and Easton just mentioned both of those parallels. So that might be a good recipe for Easton. But um, now you can hand him the trophy now. Yeah, He's already we'll just won go the ahead. And, we'll just go ahead Give and do him the trophy. it. Um, have you thought about the 13th you're the 13th angler to make the Bassmaster classic from the college series from the lee brothers andrew upshaw early in his time elite series pros like jacob fouts you've got a now an elite series qualifier john garrett even going to the most recent like tristan mccormick and lewis Menetti, guys you fished against in college now you have to carry that and represent it's not all about getting the highest finishes and all the opens and that's not how you represent representing is leaving your stamp for your school and your name for the opens and representing the college series, something that everybody can get behind. So that task is no easy task, but how excited are you for this is an, a year of promotion that, that most pros would love to have. And most pros, I guess, thought they'd have just alluding to recent comments, but 
that's one of those one of those deals that it's an opportunity that one person gets every single year. Yeah, it's what college bass has been able to, you know, lay on the table for us to all compete against every year is super cool. And for it to be me this year, I'm super honored. And it's just like I've said so many times, it's, I, I still can't believe it. But yeah, I'm definitely super excited for this year to be able to compete in the opens and rep represent the college uh, series. And, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll represent them to my very best. And, you know, it's hopefully try to promote it at a high level and, you know, hopefully even maybe get even more kids involved. So I'm, I'm super excited. You got your house yet for the opens. I know Bo is fishing all the opens. You got anybody else that you know that you're going to run and travel with? I'm actually traveling with Bo for all, all of them. So we're, we're, we're kind of working on, we got, we got housing for a lot of the opens, but we're still working on a couple. So that's going to be, a, it's going to be your, a sure. your house for yeah, one so. of them and his house for one of them. That's two that's taken care of. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a disaster that's going to be. It's a train wreck. <laughs> so I do want to ask you about that. So, you know, we had the chance to talk about this the other day. Um, you're still going to finish college obviously this, this year, at least for the first, you know, half of the year, I guess, um, you're going to have a really busy schedule just to start with just straight up. When you get back from Christmas break, just give me a rundown of like what your schedule looks like for the next two months, because I was amazed when you, you mentioned this the other day, I was like, boy, that's going to be a lot. So right now I'm hoping to travel back on the second. If everything goes perfect, I'll fly into Tulsa on the second, get my new truck drive back to school, get my new boat the next day, hopefully get in to get rigged. Um, I was hoping to get it rigged by the 6th to bring to Florida, but I've decided in my head that's not happening. So I go to Florida on the 6th for the MLF National Championship. Uh, and then hopefully when I come back, I'll be able to have the boat rigged and wrapped and ready to go and hopefully dial that in. And then third week of January, I go to Murray for the first college bass series. And then straight from there to Okeechobee for the first open. Um, and then... Let's see, we have a week in between that and then Wachita for the second open. And, you know, it just goes from there. So that's from that, extend that three more months. That's how my spring is going to look this, this this spring. And staying on top of school is going to be a grind for sure, but we'll, we'll make it work. We'll make it happen. So what is your degree path in, let's just say, if fishing didn't work out, what would you, what did you enter school with the desire to do? So my, my uh, major is marketing. Uh, ultimately I'd like to be somewhere in sales. If fishing doesn't work somewhere in the fishing industry, uh, you know, it's a sales marketer sales somewhere in sales is, is my interest and in where I would like to be. So Easton, congratulations, man. We appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Thank you for, you know, the, you're sharing your story. That's something that like Kyle said, you probably don't want to do it over and over and over again. And now once we start the new year, we'll get to talk about your fishing skill more so than your story. But I know that story is an encouragement and absolutely a blessing to your life that it worked out the way it did. Uh, absolutely. Very, very cool. Also very cool to see Montevallo represented on the opens level. Now it is the one of the rising schools. I know that Kyle and I uh, will be poking around there probably in the next couple of weeks or, or month or so. Um, doing some different things. So we're excited about that. And uh, we hope nothing but the best for you, Easton. And uh, tell everybody else we said, hey, because I know that you have one of the most competitive teams out there. You're, you're not even probably worried about beating other schools. You just have to worry about beating your own people. And if you beat them, then you're probably going to be high up in the tournament as well. Exactly how it goes. Thank you guys for having me. 
Well, Kyle, that was Easton Fothergill. I'm glad he got to join us for uh, about 30 or 40 minutes here on the Bassmaster podcast. What a cool story. I mean, I'm, I'm glad he got to walk us through his health journeys, but also we can't un, we can't put that as the lead of who he is because he is a fantastic fisherman. And I look forward to seeing, especially with the diverse places, Okeechobee, Santee, Hartwell, Logan Martin, Wachita, Eufaula, Leach, St. Clair, and Wisconsin, and the Mississippi River in Wisconsin. Those nine playing fields, I, I feel like he will be just completely comfortable in all those environments for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about it a lot with college fishing, but one of the major benefits for guys that are wanting to fish beyond college, you know, is the fact that you're going to see a lot of different diversity as far as the lakes are concerned uh, that you fish. I mean, you factor in the amount of places he's fished in the last three or four years in the college series uh, and seemingly never has a bad finish. Uh, that definitely bodes well for somebody that's about to jump in the opens. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, him winning the bracket, him doing all the things that he's accomplished should be no surprise to anybody. Obviously, um, the route that he's taken to get there within the last year is wild. And like you said, a story that needs to be told, but uh, he is certainly one of the best young anglers um, doing it right now. And, and, you know, I think by the end of it, I would guess we probably put him in the company of some of the, the greatest college fishermen, um, you know, that we've ever seen. Yeah. And that's the one hard thing about it is like, you know, how many wins does it take for a college guy to be declared that, or is it, you know, it's like the whole story, like Hank Cherry, Never won an Elite Series event, two classics. Jordan Lee, never won an Elite Series event so far, two classics. When you win does determine it, whereas there's other guys like Hackney and Polinick who have won Angler of the Years, and they've won a bunch of Elite Series events, but they haven't won a classic. And so for Easton and Nick to show their consistency throughout the season without winning an event, and then boom, showing up, doing it again at the championship for no points, just for pride. And then obviously coming through and winning uh, after winning team of the year. Absolutely fantastic. And I'll go ahead and say this. I think this is the case that um, I'm trying to pull it up, actually. The team of the year was started um, just a few, I guess, years 2020. ago, 2020. I think, what was it? KJ Queen and Dax Ewart won the first one, and then I think it was Zeke Gossett and Hayden Bar or not okay. Hayden Barty. I think it was Zeke and uh, um, Lucas Smith. Yes, Lucas Smith. That was twenty two. That was I was about, no if twenty one. Okay, so if, if I think I'm backwards then, because I believe if it, if it started, it would have started nineteen. If KJ Queen would have been the first KJ team and Dax to win did it, twenty twenty was Zeke. Yeah, and then Zeke was twenty twenty, and then. Who who was twenty twenty one because twenty twenty two was Luke uh was Lewis and um uh it's it's Tucker Michael. Smith and Parks. Oh that's right. Oh yeah, okay. So our five team of the years that we've had so far is Bethel University's KJ Queen Dax Ewart. Uh twenty twenty was Zeke and Lucas from Jacksonville State, twenty twenty one, Logan and Tucker from Auburn, then obviously UNC Charlotte. So if you think about this. Every single team of the year winner since they've gotten entry into the bracket, which started the year that Logan and Tucker won it, that they got a spot out of the four teams for the bracket. Then we have seen the team of the year, one part of it, make it to the final round or win it. Tucker got second to Tristan McCormick that year. 
Um, and then Lewis won it after winning team of the year. And then Easton wins it after winning team of the year. So that obviously Hank Weldon's made a lot of great decisions over his life of, of this series, but implementing team of the year. And you can speak to that Kyle, just being around these guys, implementing team of the year into our final eight anglers for the bracket. That is, has been a successful um, adaptation that has came with the progression of college series. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that having representatives from the championship uh, is important. Uh, you know, naturally the winner, because at the end of the day, just to make it to the championship, like you have to be consistently at least good enough, at least in one tournament, just to make it there. So making it there is difficult. Uh, finishing in the top three now or four in the past um, equally no, is difficult. Yeah. But at the yeah. end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not even comparable to um you know being team of the year obviously it's it's the age-old debate what's more important the classic or the aoi but in that sense it's like it's crazy to leave out the team of the year the way we have it now to where you know teams can fish all the events and i say now not anymore now but now of the last several years uh to where you can you know over the course of the season win team of the year that race is really tight every year and it's always filled with the teams you would expect. It's not to say that um, there's not some surprises. I think Lewis Manetti and and Michael were were one of the teams that kind of surprised us a little bit. But typically, the top ten in that list uh, are the guys that are pretty notable in college fishing. So uh, to win that's super prestigious and certainly should be represented in the bracket. I think that uh, I mean before the college championship even starts, you already know. All right, we got two dudes locked in, like to to fish the fish the bracket, and the and the gold, silver, bronze at the college championship determines the last last ones. Um, I'm trying to look and see team of the year. I mean, I I'm pretty sure it was like yeah, they only won by six points. They they had an absolutely fantastic season. They win by six points, uh, another twenty something over third place, and then. Uh, another, you know, dozen over fourth, and you've got the likes of Montevallo represented twice there, Campbellsville, Bethel University, Auburn, Blue Mountain College, one of our champions, Barry and Bullock from that, Emanuel College. So you have six different schools represented in the top seven finishers with the only duplicate being first and second from Montevallo. And when we were talking about you got to beat your own team just to do just to be successful on the road, Montevallo took first, second, eighth, 12th, 13th, and 14th for Team of the Year. So they had three, four, five, six of the top 13, six of the top 14 teams were from Montevallo. So they are on a roll, um, absolutely, and I look forward to seeing who rises up there. You've got even East Texas Baptist up in there, um, as well as the University of Florida, a little bit of under under the radar there showing up so storyline of the year the story of the season Easton Fothergill not only the fantastic year overcoming his health issues having surgery recovering getting cleared for the bracket dominating the bracket every day and on that final afternoon what a fantastic surge he had catching three or four key fish to call up and he eventually passed Tucker Smith after the midway point to win on the final day that's that's kind of crazy because Easton had been so dominant in the mornings. Tucker had been so dominant in the afternoons. And on that final day, they both needed – Tucker needed to catch him in the morning, and he did. 
Easton needed to catch him in the afternoon, and he ended up doing that. So it's interesting how it works out. But Easton Fothergill, Montevallo will represent the College Series on the Bassmaster Classic stage at Grand Lake and all nine St. Croix Rods Bassmaster Opens. He will be a part of that EQ points race that we we got to, you know, so hotly contested and got to see play out at the end of this past season. Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, there's so many factors to it, of course, like we talked with him. But, you know, throughout the season, you can't help but keep an eye on the college representative throughout the <laughs> yeah. Opens. And I think that Easton is is going to be, you know, naturally, we're going to say this every year because whoever wins it is going to be an angler that's hot and going to be on a, a momentum streak. But, but again, how consistent Easton and Nick, I mean, you don't want to take Nick out of the equation, but how consistent Easton's been over the last three years in college fishing i mean it's pretty remarkable on its own so um he certainly proved it all over the country that that certainly uh you know would give you a lot of confidence to jump in the opens and do well so certainly a uh you know a storyline we're going to keep an eye on throughout the 2024 season yeah and i think if we look at the history of qualification um I, I didn't pull it up and i should have continued to pull it up but the college bracket winners if we look at how they did Upshaw got into the sport on a pro level shortly after he, you know, made waves. Matt Lee, a few years later, qualified for the elites. Jordan Lee, I think it was the next season. Um, he won in 2013, 2014. He fished the Opens, and I think he made it and started in 2015. Um, Brett Pruitt made the Elite Series shortly after. Trevor Lowe got a, a job in the industry shortly after that as well. John Garrett, we now see years later paying off for him. Jacob Fouts, I think it was two seasons or maybe two full open seasons after before he qualified. Um, Nick Ratliff, he has been very competitive up in his region of Kentucky, that that area. Cody Huff, we, we've seen him not only pay off in a great classic finish, I think him, Jordan Lee, and Louis Minetti are the only ones to make the final day as the college representative, and Easton will definitely have an opportunity to do that this year. Trevor McKinney, we see his name at the top of the Opens and so close every year. Tristan, when he won in 2021, he went on to win another Open in 2022 to make the Classic. So Tristan's used jumping in the Classic from the College Series and then gets to get in the Classic again from the Opens. Obviously, then Louis Minetti. Louis said, I believe, he plans to take a year or two off um, of the Opens to prepare himself more and also to financially figure that out so he could do it the right way when he does re-enter the opens. Um, and I know he'll have a spot in there whenever he's ready. And then Easton now gets to represent there. So super cool. Great. I love the college series. We both stemmed from it for sure. And I know now they're making waves, not only on, on the boat, but also in the industry. So excited for Easton Fothergill, our story of the year, our pre Christmas episode, hang with us for one more episode for the 2023 calendar year. After Christmas, we'll be dropping one, I believe, with our Angler of the Year champion, Kyle Welcher. Excited to talk to, have about, talk to him about his fantastic season as a whole. And that'll be on episode 161 of the Bassmaster Podcast. So for episode 160, Merry Christmas from myself and Kyle Jesse. We will see you in the next one. Thank you guys for watching and the support you've shown. We will see you after we open all of our presents. <laughs>